Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to The China Shop. I'm your host, Kyle, and joining me for today's episode is our authentic and Australian acquaintance from across the Atlantic, Anthony Fatsies, anchor of the Audible What the Finance. How are you doing today, Anthony? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Can I steal that for my own intro? Is, is that possible? Oh, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> How much will that cost? <laughs> Believe it or not, that's what actually got me out of bed this morning, was the... That alliteration streak. <laughs> like, oh, how long can I make this? I think that's a that's a record for the show. Oh really? Two, three, oh nice. Four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh yeah. Eight words. Yeah. Lots of A's. I love it. Pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we dive into today's discussion, I'm just gonna take a quick moment to say thank you to our sponsors and friends over at Manscaped, Trade Pro Academy, and Orderflow Labs. Manscaped is the best below-the-waist grooming with precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And with the new, improved 2.0 version of the Weed Whacker available, it's a perfect time to take advantage of our exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping using promo code 2Bulls at manscaped.com. As always, that is the number two. And when it comes to institutional quality trading education, look no further than tradeproacademy.com. In our free Discord server, you'll find instructions to take advantage of a discount with them as well. And for all you degenerates who enjoy trading futures, you'll definitely want to check out the custom tools and studies over at Odorflow Labs. And if you're new to the show and haven't met Anthony yet, we'll have links to his YouTube channel so you can subscribe to What the Finance. Uh, that is WTF Finance. Uh, you can thank us for introducing you to Anthony via our email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com, or you can just join that free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. Be sure to have all those links in the episode description. But now that we got all the uh, the BS out of the way, <laughs> I know our sponsors love it when I refer to that as that. <laughs> let's uh, let's just dive in. What's been going on with you, man? Uh, you got the new job that started? Yeah, we yeah. absolutely got the new job, uh, and then mainly just uh, pumping out podcasts, trying to follow. Uh, probably similar to everyone else, trying to follow with what's happening in the world, which uh, last few weeks has seemed pretty mental. And, and yeah. I noticed your YouTube game has really been stepping up. Uh, the new cover art looks awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I just basically steal uh, images from everyone. So, <laughs> <laughs> is it funny though how much of an impact that has on on the like clicks that you get? Yeah, it, it is like, and you have to look into that a bit more. So I've focused more on YouTube, uh, and really the key things are the title and the click and the uh, thumbnails, and also the guests as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's sort of what I've been trying to focus on. Whereas I think uh, audio is a bit different. You've been getting a lot of great guests too. I noticed you're talking to billionaires lately too. David Rubenstein yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they ob they obviously don't see my uh, podcast before they say yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I have the <laughs> same thought every time I get somebody that uh, reaches out to me. I had somebody, uh, Kevin Davy, actually mm. send me like all his books, like mailed them to me. I was like, How the fuck did you get my mailing address? <laughs> But okay, you want to talk to me that bad? Yeah, I'll talk to him. I mean, he's a rocket scientist uh, yeah. and a three-time investing champion. You want to talk to me? <laughs> if you're rich uh, enough, you can get whatever you want, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so I can be had for much cheaper than you think. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need all the books <laughs> for future guests. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> really, just, just that you noticed. <laughs> So what's uh, what is the new job got you doing then? Yes, I work for an energy company in London, uh, and it's on the finance side. So it's quite interesting. It's like uh, it's sort of like basically doing DCFs for buying companies, but also like their internal products that they sell. DCF. So it's like a discounted cash flow, which is like a way that you can uh, uh, sort of yeah measure the value. Uh, but it, it, yeah, because it's an energy company, as you can probably imagine, uh, and it's mm -hmm. one of the biggest, and you can probably guess one of them if it's you know it's based in London. Uh, they were sort of spending ridiculous amounts of money recently and now they're like, hang on, <laughs> this probably won't last forever. Let's uh, chill out a bit. 
so uh, yeah there's there's more scrutiny in, in that regard so it's just uh yeah it's pretty interesting i think it's sort of a it sort of uh, expands to public stocks as well. So for mm. anyone who's actually, uh, this is probably more longer term investing, then you have to do a DCF as well for uh, oftentimes just to get the true value of the uh, of the stock you're looking to invest in. So uh, I, th- I think it's quite, yeah, it's quite interesting. And public stocks are easier because you have all the information there. Whereas if it's a private company, you have to <laughs> <laughs> figure it out on the go. Yeah. And then you also have to, because if they're, they're- private then there's a lot less regulatory controls on the information they give you too right yeah exactly and they're smaller and then sometimes they're in uh different countries so for example uh i was dealing with a country uh, company in romania which was interesting so you can imagine mm. there's lots of risks there but uh yeah it's uh keeping me busy with, uh, along with the podcast what do they what do they make in romania gymnasts gymnasts <laughs> <laughs> is that the first thing that comes to your head <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's that's where uh, Vlad the Impaler was from, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, he was from uh, Transylvania, wasn't he? But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've heard. I've never visited, but I've heard they still, some people still wish for his return. Yes. Why wouldn't you? I know, right? <laughs> Someone who kills lots of people. And well, there's still... a lot of crazy people in Germany and Italy, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the US, though. Or UK. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, don't even get me started there. <laughs> the fact that Trump is going to run again for 2024. Ugh. Unless he gets arrested. Dude, let it go. Let it go. We tried that <laughs> once. Yeah. Did you see that? How they're going to arrest him, apparently? I, I saw uh, that he said that. Yeah. He also says a lot of things that I don't really listen to. So. <laughs> True. I think it's a good thing. A good thing to do is just uh, ignore anything that politicians say because it's just. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> There's always a reason behind it. <laughs> right. Mm. <laughs> so, what, uh, what's been going on in your world then? You've been paying uh, attention yeah. to this banking collapse? Yeah. So, a, a lot. <laughs> it's, just, it's just fascinating, isn't it? Like, it's something that hasn't happened for so long. So, now you see something like SVB. You know, one mm-hmm. of the largest bank runs in history going down. How quickly it occurred, and now we're seeing Credit Suisse. The same things happening there. It's been, that, that Credit Suisse is probably a bit more of a slow burner. <laughs> yeah. Credit like, Suisse has been burning for decades. It seems like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I hear everyone saying like it's always been the worst run bank, and somehow it's kept surviving. <laughs> <laughs> what did I call? I called them the North Korea of banking the other day. I think they're <laughs> just terrible at being bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, <laughs> it's like, damn it, just die. But. Uh, it looks like it's finally happening, and I don't know if you've. Uh, I think it's just recently announced that uh, UBS, the other uh, Swiss bank, is uh, looking to put a one billion dollar offer in, which I think is uh, nine hundred ninety nine million dollars too much. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, that was just announced this morning, wasn't it? Yeah, I think recently. And, and to be honest, when, when everyone listens to this, it's probably going to be old and things yeah, change, yeah. which is always the case. Um, We're recording this on the 19th of March, just in case anybody's curious. Yeah, but but I just think the numbers are ridiculous when you think about it. They've already been uh, offered like a $50 billion loan. And if you think about that, that's uh, close to 10% of Swiss, Switzerland's GDP. Right. Which is crazy to think. You know, we compare the numbers in the US and we say, oh, 300, million, uh, 300 billion was added to the Fed balance sheet last week. Uh, but that was that's, a, that's about 1% of the whole GDP. So, right. you know, when you, you're sort of comparing it to that and that was over multiple banks, it's, it's quite crazy, uh, I guess, the concentration in, in some European countries with these banks. So, yeah. What so what, wrong, what is, <laughs> sorry, I just had a burp there. I had to stifle. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that uh, really kind of shocked me was this um, rescue effort for First Republic that, uh, that the major banks have all like mm. kicked in, like... I don't know how, like four, four or five of the top banks, like all kicked in like five billion each, and a bunch of other ones kicked in like anywhere from two to one billion. Yeah. Uh, what? Like, <laughs> when a, your competitor goes out of business, normally that's a good thing for for you. Yeah. Like the fact uh, that all the major banks are getting scared enough to kick in their own money as uninsured deposits to save like one of their competitors, like that. What What is the alternative that they're scared of? I think for, if for banking, it's probably not a good thing if your competitors yeah. go out of business because then they're always concerned. You know, there's always concern about contagion and what that means for everyone else. I, right. I think as well, there's a, there's a concern that will banks just become utilities where you know they they can't do anything. All they can do is be like own 
well, even though they've, they have owned treasuries and still <laughs> had issues, but they, can, they can't like maybe invest in anything. Maybe they can only hold cash. Maybe they can only put it into the feds. Uh, they have like a service where you, they'll pay you a little bit, a tiny bit of interest uh, every single month. So I, I feel like there's probably the concern from the big banks. Hang on. If they, if all these banks collapse, oh. there's going to be all this regulation brought in and then we're not going to be able to continue with what we're doing. And uh, I guess make as much money as we are. And we're just getting come yeah. utilities that are, are very unprofitable, which I think, um, I've heard was similar to what was happening in like the 60s and 70s and then they uh, transitioned with globalization, etc. When was this? Is there any uh, um, reference material that you can point to? that I Because I'm, I'm not familiar with that. I kind of want to look into it. Uh, about the periods back in the day? Yeah. Um, yeah, I can, I can look into it for you and get some stuff. But And this is probably just me hearing someone say that. But from if you think about, I guess, after the 70s, what really brought growth to the banking mm-hmm. system was that globalization was the increase in uh, in credit. I, I guess you could say CDOs as well were launched during that period. The financialization of the world, um, you know, everything like that really is what grew the banking systems. Uh, in, in the UK, there was sort of the Euro dollar system mm-hmm. um, uh, as well. But uh, and I think back to your point, what you were saying, the issue was that. So one republic. Oh, did I say one republic? What's, First what's republic. The bank <laughs> they're not insolvent mm-hmm. and, and i think that's the key thing they have a liquidity crisis and they own all these treasuries and other bonds that if they held to maturity would mean they could pay everyone back uh, okay but the challenge is that they because interest rates have uh, gone up quite a lot the value of those safe assets has decreased because obviously they're paying out less interest and mm-hmm. they have less value. So the challenge is if everyone starts pulling out their money, even if they sell all the current bonds that they have at the current price, it's not going to actually cover the difference. Right, right. Okay, right. Yeah, which is so, but you could say they still have those assets there. And if they held them for the whole period of time that they, uh, until they expire, they would have that. Uh, yeah, but how long is that? <laughs> yeah, and that's the challenge. <laughs> right. so it's really an issue of uh, duration, which, um, well, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not isn't that similar to what happened to SVB before it collapsed? Like, weren't they just facing like a situation where they needed to do a little bit of fundraising? They sent out a letter to their investors and everyone got spooked and just pulled all their cash out instead. Yeah, yeah, basically. And then I think, uh, but the challenge there as well is uh, you have to look at the type of depositors. Mm. So, yeah, and you've, you've probably heard this talked about a lot, but uh, retail depositors are normally going to have less than $200,000 right. or they're going to be lo- below the limit. So they're not going to be as spooked because they're covered. Yeah, yeah. SVB had, I think it was like ninety percent or ninety-five percent of their depositors were uh, would not have been insured mm-hmm. if there was a collapse, and they were very much uh, more, I think, uh, company deposits. So the concern there is there can be a bit of contagion. Obviously, Silicon Valley is very interconnected as well. It's sort of like an in, <laughs> inbred place where <laughs> everyone does everything. You know, yeah. they're, they're all together. So then, you know, once once someone gets spooked, they're all going to take their money out. It's it's a lot more. More uh, flighty, the capital, and that's really what happened. Yeah, uh, especially since I think they cater to a lot of venture capitalists, and you got to imagine those people are going to be quick to pull the plug when something's not going their way. Yeah, and it sounds like they did some dodgy stuff as well. Like one of them was uh, one of the car startups was complaining that uh, they went to go put their money in JP Morgan, and they asked for an address, and <laughs> uh, they didn't have a, they didn't have an address, so they're like, "Oh, this is you know BS. I didn't need an address at, at uh, Silicon Valley Bank." I was like, "Well, <laughs> that's probably an issue if they don't have like the is it the KYC? Uh, you know that they don't have those uh, <laughs> things in place." Huh. Wait, huh? Might have yeah. to explain that one a little bit more. Wait, they they wanted to send their money to an account in JP Morgan, but they couldn't. Yep. They couldn't actually complete the transfer because they didn't know where to send it. No, so they so they wanted to open a bank account yeah they okay. didn't have a address for the company oh oh yeah good Lord. okay yeah yeah and then they were complaining that jp morgan's like no we don't want to take the money unless you have an address <laughs> i see what you're saying okay. <laughs> which you think it sort of makes sense so so there's these homeless startups out there <laughs> yeah. yes i know san francisco had a homeless problem but i didn't know silicon valley was so bad yeah god i didn't realize the uh, housing prices were that high <laughs> the startups can't that. But, uh, yeah so it sounds like they there were some dodgy things obviously as well you could say they should have uh you know Sure, the Fed uh, did pivot a bit quickly in uh, was it 
2021, start of mm-hmm. 2022 in terms of in- increasing interest rates. But then they sort of did tell everyone for the whole year that it was going to go up. So they should have hedged uh, their interest rate risk. Uh, but right. I was listening to a pretty interesting uh, podcast today talking about they're actually, due to regulations, they're disincentivized to do that. Really? Yeah. So what happens is if they... Uh, there's certain p- parts of the balance sheet that uh, these assets go on. So let's say, uh, you know, if, if you own a treasury, it goes, it's sort of off balance sheet. But if mm-hmm. you were to hedge that, that would actually go directly into your PL. So all the losses would go on your PL. Oh, oh, yeah. So, so from their perspective, they're like, well, this is just going to make our performance look worse if we hedge it, despite the fact that it's sort of offsetting the benefits that are coming from the bond. So right. then from, so, they were sort of disincentivized to do that. And from my understanding, that's different in Europe. So in Europe, they're sort of like, okay, you're hedging against this inflation risk. We're going to sort of pair it up with the bond that you're hedging that against. Is that because the bond, uh, the profits from the bond don't get realized until the asset is disposed of? So you're only seeing the effects of the hedge on the PL sheet? You could say that, but then you'd say there should be coupons coming in as well uh, at a yeah. certain var- interval. So you'd say that yeah. the, the, the ideal way to do it would be they sort of uh, cancel each other out and they would still potentially be a bit of profit. But for some reason, and I don't know the specifics of it, they uh, that doesn't happen in the US. So, What was the name of the podcast? Um, so there, there was Macro Voices where they talked about it. There was also, uh, Ma- hang on, let me get up. I just went for a long walk before this. and oh, I just want to put notes so we can link it. The Macro Trading Floor, which is a really good one. So there are Alfonso, Pecatilio, and Andreas Steno, and they're more macro people. Uh Link, link awesome. to Blockworks as well, if anyone knows. Uh, but yeah, they, they were sort of talking about the intricacies behind uh, why maybe these banks weren't actually hedging, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But you, you should say, you know, even if it does affect your balance sheet, you probably should have known the risks that that, that involved. Uh, <laughs> and they didn't worry about it. Well, I mean, normally when you're putting a hedge on, it's to protect profits. Not It's not a, something you're looking to show profit from, right? Yeah, exactly. And I guess the challenge was that these... Uh, these bonds, they weren't really making much profit because they <laughs> yeah, they did it what, a couple of years ago when the interest rates were so low. So, yeah. That's funny that you mentioned that because I just saw something that popped up uh, the other day talking about the, the way the Fed's asset balance sheet has been working. And mm-hmm. like we've just seen the money that the Fed usually kicks in because they usually make a lot of money from all these assets that they hold is actually shifted to where the majority of the members aren't kicking anything into the pot anymore i think they only brought in five like 50 million this year or this last um uh, i don't know if that was the month of yeah the month of february whereas like you know uh, two years ago they're kicking in like a billion dollars total that goes directly towards the u.s budget so the effects of these rising interest rates combined with quantitative easing or no quantitative tightening is actually <laughs> might have a direct impact on the amount of taxes the average person pays. Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, it's probably not as big an issue as you think because they can just print all the money they want. <laughs> right, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I think that's always the, the the US is unique and I guess you could say other countries can do this as well that have a currency. They can just, uh, no matter what the losses are, they can always print it. But I guess the US, they've also, their currency is in the privileged position of being the uh, world currency that most things are transacted in. So there's always going to be a bit of a demand for it. Right. Uh, and yeah, yeah. So do you think that, uh, do you think that's going to last much longer? Uh, it's been seeing like Saudi Arabia, like now accepting the Chinese yuan for oil and yeah. uh, other, other countries that seem to have been like looking like they're trying to shift away from the dollar. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. Uh, like the U.S. has been dominant for so long. You just got to think that the time in the sun is going to come down soon. Yeah. Uh, I've said before that I think that the U.S.'s unique geopolitical uh, location, like being situated in the middle of like the trade between two continents, puts them in a unique spot. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's a lot easier when you don't have to fight all these wars against <laughs> all the wars on all your doorstep. You have a heap of energy. Uh, you've got, yeah. But also having access, easy access to two major oceans. Yeah, true. Both Asia and uh, Europe. Yeah. Africa. Yep. Uh, yeah. That puts us smack in the middle. When Europe was, you know, at its heyday, that was before they were sailing across the other side of the world, they had to go around, you know, Africa to get to India. Mm. 
Yeah, and I, and I think it's all relative at the end of the day. So if you look, if you compare the currencies, and you know, I've got a few trades on in currencies at the moment. It's just like, okay, maybe the US will depreciate against certain products, but will they depreciate against other currencies? And mm -hmm. I'd say probably not. There's a uh, an interesting guy called Brent Donnelly, and he talks about the uh, milkshake theory, which is where oh, is this from uh, the, the what was that movie? Uh, the guy drinks his milkshake. There will be blood. Oh, I'm not too sure where it's from, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Explain this milkshake. I, I like it from the movie. <laughs> um, no, that's the, the guy is bitching uh, or yelling at his son, his adopted son. The guy was trying to sell him some oil land. He's like, I bought the land next to it. I drink your milkshake. He's like tunneled underneath <laughs> and is like sucking his oil reserves dry. from. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the whole thing was about that's drinking his milkshake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. Well, yeah, I, I think it's sort of just saying that uh, I guess a, a lot of the, especially during times of crisis, a lot of the uh, capital is all, it normally goes to the US just because it's the biggest mm -hmm. uh, country. And and there's also other factors as well why, you know, if we look at current monetary policy, it's got high high interest rates than most. And, and why can that, why can the country potentially handle higher interest rates than most? Uh, if we compare it to like, and sorry, this is probably going a bit off, off tangent. No, go for it. Uh, but if you can compare it to like Canada, Australia, or the UK, mm -hmm. those are countries that are with mortgages, they're sort of uh, variable rates. So you, yeah, yeah, it's so weird, isn't it? Yeah, which is, uh, but it's funny because it's not weird for those countries because right. it's sort of what they've experienced. And if you think about the last 30 years, it's really benefited m mortgage holders because yeah. interest rates have gone down. So, or, or you could say even 40 years. So if you had an, you know, you bought a house 10 years ago, you have a, let's say interest rates are at 3%. Five years later, they've probably gone down to two percent. Mm -hmm. So you're actually paying less. But it's only now that interest rates have, have increased right. where that's going to be a major issue. But, but what does that mean for monetary policy? So lots of people's uh, mortgages are going to roll over. They're going to be paying a lot more. Mm -hmm. uh, so, someone I interviewed recently said they knew someone in uh, the UK whose mortgage repayments were going to go from fifteen hundred pounds a month to five thousand. Which yeah, so Ooh, wow. it's it's a, it's a lot higher three over three times. Uh, the, the payments, uh, but that's going to have a massive impact on inflation because it's going to reduce the amount of capital that's being spent in the markets. Uh, you could say it's also going to reduce the uh, uh, sort of the, the housing markets, but it's actually going to have an impact on the bottom line. Mm -hmm. So central banks have a limitation of what they can raise interest rates for to not crash the property markets, but also it's going to potentially bring down inflation even faster. Well, whatever whatever their controls are, it's not enough to stop you from three X on your <laughs> payment from one yeah. year to the next. Like, <laughs> why well, don't mind if uh, if it brings property houses prices down? I'm <laughs> happy for that. I need to get on the property ladder. Oh yeah, you guys need that in England. Yeah, yeah, especially near near London. And you could say that might not happen in London, mm -hmm. but uh, but yeah, as we say in the US, because you're locked in for thirty years, there's not going to be that uh, sort of sucking out of uh, capital from the markets because people right. are going to be paying that forever and ever but then no but what the, the impact that does have is actually on the secondary loan market so a lot of these mortgage mm. companies they underwrite the loans but then they turn around and they sell it to another you know yeah bigger player to hold it but now nobody's paying for any of these because none of these in nobody thinks these interest rates are going to last so nobody's paying any premiums on this anymore. And then that's the shadow bank, it's shadow banking system. So there's people who mm. hold these and a lot of them are like money market funds, um, MBS funds. They hold these, uh, mm -hmm. I think they're MBS or uh, mortgage-backed yeah. mortgage securities. Yeah, exactly. yeah. They hold these and they're, they're government backed. But the challenge will be if people start withdrawing their money from these funds, mm. like we saw from the banks, they're not going to have it all. <laughs> they're not going to have the money there. It's <laughs> just really concerning, uh, especially if there's more, not more you know, let's say uh, sales dry up because there's higher interest rates. So people just hold on to their um, houses for longer. They don't move. There's going to be less mm -hmm. of that uh, sort of uh, securities in the market. So yeah, there's going to be more loss for, for longer, which is crazy to think. How many countries have a variable interest rate system? Like you mentioned, you, know, you mentioned Canada and uh, UK, yeah. Like who else? Who else has this system? So, from what I know, the big three are Canada, UK, and Australia, and and they're probably the ones also with the uh, uh, largest property bubbles. So, if you if you look at it like uh, London has London's one of the biggest bubbles. Uh, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, Sydney, Melbourne, they've all got these mm -hmm. massive bubbles where properties are just ridiculous. You know, I know people who are 
in Australia who bought proper, like not really big prop, like maybe a house, like three bedrooms, pretty not hardly any yard, uh, over 2 million Australian dollars, which is what, uh, you know, 1500 US, wow. uh, 1.5 million US dollars. You know, yeah. it, it's just, and, and they're not, not right in the city. They're not in the best locations. It's, it's just unsustainable. Uh, so mm. those are the big countries. You know, I know some people in Europe and I don't think they're, from what I've seen, you know, the Netherlands, uh, they sort of a 10-year variable. Mm-hmm. So it's probably not going to be as much of an issue on them. I think other countries are similar to them. But really, yeah, those three are sort of going to be the big ones that are, they probably won't be able to increase interest rates as high. Uh, that inflation will go lower. So then what you compare is, well, com- the US dollar is probably going to appreciate higher against those currencies because the interest rate is going to be higher. There's going to be capital flows going into the US to get that higher yield compared to the other countries. Yeah, the, that's one thing that the US does benefit from when the inflation gets higher is, or when the po- uh, the power of the dollar gets weaker is that uh, we get a lot more exports going because your guys' money goes a lot farther here yeah exactly but then but but what i'm saying is that the uh so the us dollar will increase in value oh you're saying it's the opposite way yeah because oh fuck me no that's not good (laughs) well (laughs) yeah why why would someone hold one canadian dollar if it's only given you three percent uh you know uh repayments when you can hold the us dollar that's giving you five percent Right, yeah. right, right. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. And, and especially if you think of the, like, who are the major capital, what, where's the major capital flows come from? It probably doesn't come from the individual person. It's from the big institutions, pension funds, right. uh, you know, hedge funds. So they're really, you know, Japan's well known to have trillions and trillions of dollars in pension funds that's always going between the US and, uh, and Japan. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're going to have that search for the best yield they can get. Right, they're going to go to the US, which is going to increase the value of the US. And if there's a crisis as well, the US is known as a safe haven, so it's going to further right. you know, move to the US. So, yeah, I think we could see a really strong dollar uh, in, at least in the next six to twelve months. Oh shit, I got to have to look and which, see. So, you, did you I see, hear you say you had some currency trades on? Yeah, so I've got just once. I've just got a uh, long US dollar versus Canadian dollar. Really, for the uh, what I was saying before. Mm-hmm. Uh, about the uh, they can hold it higher for longer. Obviously, there's a risk that uh, power will <laughs> this week will <laughs> counter, counter everything I've said, and he'll be like, "Nah, screw it. We're gonna keep our interest rates the same." Or I think if he increases it by 25 uh, basis points, which we probably most people expect, yeah. shouldn't affect the trade as much. Do you use the but, uh, the Fed Watch tool where you can look at the real time uh, pricing predictions based on the Fed funds rates? No, I haven't used that one. Where are we at? Let me, uh, let me pull it up. What, do you, what are your thoughts on this? I feel like I've just been ranting on for ages. <laughs> uh, about whether or not we uh, raise or yeah. hold. Uh, percentages have been bouncing between 60 and 50-50 for a pause. Uh, or actually as high as 80% for 25-bit. Uh, it's fucking really crazy to use this tool and watch it like change on the daily. Yeah. Here, I'll post you a link so you can take a look at it. Like a week ago, we were, you know, 60%, 25 bips, 40%, uh, 50 bip hike. And then today it's 38% no change and 62% 25 bip. Yeah. So what do you think would be the hypothesis behind them not? I think I think if they don't, it's because they're afraid that they pushed it too far too fast and have already started uh breaking the banking system yeah <laughs> uh i think i think there's that and then there's also the question of whether whether they want to give more time for the changes they've already put in place to start to let the, some of those lagging indicators show what's actually happening yeah is that do you think that would or what do you think will happen well when we from the research i've done it seems like a lot of the stuff they do it takes six to twelve months for any of the effects to actually show up so I mean, we just started raising rates aggressively in what, like 12 months ago? Mm. I think it's been, yeah, I think the first one was sometime in March of last year. Yeah. So we should just now start be starting to see like how the, the effects have been, uh, like what sort of changes those effects have been doing. So I guess, uh, I guess it's really going to depend on how the inflation numbers and everything else uh, continue to come out. Yeah. If the, they show signs of turning over and if the, the hot print that we had in January was an anomaly or if it's going to be more of the trend. Yeah. And I feel like if we look at 
Powell and the Fed's actions over the past year. Mm-hmm. The one thing that he is most concerned about, in my opinion, is that he would be seen as another Arthur Burns, who was uh, the Fed chair in the 70s, who was really mm-hmm. blamed a lot of the time for inflation getting out of control and Volcker having to come in. Well, he didn't help his case by sitting on his hands for the first year when everybody knew inflation was going to be a problem. Yeah, exactly. But I guess you could say as well, and this is maybe me being the... Uh, Devil's advocate. Yes, exactly. No, you can do that. Uh, <laughs> we encourage that. <laughs> that when you when you haven't had inflation for ten years, mm-hmm. you do let it run a little bit. But then I agree that he was far too slow to change what was happening. But but I think as well is that he understands that he screwed up already. He screwed up on that first call. He took too yeah. long to increase. So now it's like, well, if he decreases too quickly, or if he if he slows down too quick, quickly, that's gonna potentially have the risk of inflation coming up again. And then he would be an Arthur Burns because if we look at how, how it worked in the 70s, it sort of decreased a little bit. Uh, the Fed sort of cut cut back a little bit as well. And mm. then it went back, went up to its highs after that. So there was sort of like a, you know, I see, I see. a little bit down and then it went further up. So, so the concern is that if he cuts a little bit and, and even, uh, even if they don't increase at all, I feel mm. like that's even a bigger message, as you said, that it, it will show you that the Fed are concerned and I think that could even that could have even a bigger impact on on bank runs throughout regional banks right. across the US because then it's like oh shit he has all the data you know things must be pretty bad <laughs> if he hasn't increased after right. saying he's he's going to and after I think he had the recent uh, I don't know if it was congressional hearing or he was talking to sort of politicians and he was saying that we're willing to increase further and further you know we probably should have increased further last time so mm-hmm. yeah but that was before SVB wasn't it. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. then yeah. But I guess you could say as well that uh what would interest rates decreasing interest rates do to that? Maybe it would increase the value of the uh of the bonds that they hold in the balance sheet, but they've already brought in that new uh scheme to um which aims to sort of give banks liquidity on these assets. So if there is a bank run that they're, they're okay. Mm-hmm. Uh which is basically yeah, you, you can I don't know if you've heard of this FDIC or I'm not sure what it's called. Uh but basically what they do is that you can give the Federal Reserve the bond that you have. Obviously, it has to be a Fed or a MBS, a government-backed bond. Uh-huh. It might be $0.80 cents on the dollar value at the moment. They will give you uh, for the, the value that, it was, that you bought it for. So they will give you $0.100 cents on the dollar for... For your, something that's worth uh, 20% yeah, less. Exactly. So basically, that what they've done is rather than doing, you could say, like is a classic analogy that the interest rates is like a sledgehammer uh, on the economy. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Is that why the we saw the spike in the Fed's asset uh, balance sheet? Is that Yes, exactly. I was trying to figure out where that came from because it... I was, wondering if like did quantitative tightening suddenly end this week no so so i think that's that i'm pretty sure and you know i'm not an expert on this so i might be wrong but i'm pretty sure that's i'm not at all either (laughs) (laughs) if you think we're experts uh (laughs) (laughs) buckle up because you're gonna get a lot of bad information (laughs) (laughs) the financial ineptitude individuals yes exactly But, but yes, I think that's where it's all come from. So these uh, these banks have decided to, and it could be just be uh, from a uh, risk prevention mechanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically what they've done is they've swapped those uh, loans, uh, those uh, bonds for a loan of cash, basically. Uh, and, and from my understanding, it's for a year. So then I think the hypothesis behind that as well, in a year's time, you know, interest rates 
Inflation will be down, hopefully. Interest rates maybe will decrease. The value of those bonds will be at a higher rate. Or, or it also gives you time to uh, maybe uh, hold them to maturity and then you get paid out everything. You know, you, you said that, and I've heard many people talk about that, like when inflation comes down, like what happens <laughs> if it doesn't? I, I don't think it will, but I think the Fed are hoping. <laughs> I don't think it will either, but I mean, that's um, there's a lot of people making a lot of plans based on it coming down. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, and someone I recently interviewed, uh, his name's Michael Cow. He was mm-hmm. saying that he thinks that we're in a uh, new secular shift where inflation will be higher for longer. Kind of like a re- return to the eighties. Yeah, sort of. And I think, um, people have been ca- comparing it to the forties as well. So mm-hmm. there's sort of different trends of, uh, what's causing it, but yeah, it will be quite similar where, that there's all these macroeconomic trends in the background that are going to influence this, uh, as well as you could link it to the seventies in terms of, you know, the seventies was quite, I guess, politically center left. There was lots of, uh, money flowing around, lots of incentives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what can a central bank do when the deficit is so high during such a period, you know, <laughs> if, if the government just right more, <laughs> yeah, if the government just gives out 3 billion or 3 trillion, you know, every year on top of what they're already doing. Right. What will interest rates do? There's, there's going to be so much more money in the economy. You know, we've seen these uh, investments in green energy and semiconductors, all the stuff. I think that's probably going to continue into other strategic industries that they want to uh, improve, obviously, mm-hmm. with this uh, China-US uh, sort of proxy war. So all that's going to cost money. All that's going to put pressure on supply chains. We already know there's shortages of commodities throughout mm-hmm. the world, let alone if all if every country does this probably going to be bad for inflation and yeah people are just hoping that uh things go back to the good old days and you know i hope that happens but i hope so too confident. <laughs> yeah. but i've noticed that whenever i hope for my stock positions to go back to the good old times <laughs> when they were up higher it usually ends up uh, uh not working out for me very well are you the inverse <laughs> indicator basically i'm the, yes <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes yes we all feel that way though right i know <laughs> right well, I've got a, uh, I've got another short on Nasdaq which hasn't performed very well because, uh, and, and you could say maybe I've uh, short. I, I was thinking the uh, markets go down. I chose Nasdaq because I thought you know higher beta would probably have more, more volatile move. But then you have to look at what are the companies that are actually in that yeah. index, and you know the ones that have gone down a lot. Banks obviously has Nasdaq has no exposure to nope. that. So, but Nasdaq is, but you should be good with the, betting on the Nasdaq to drop when interest rates are going up. You think so? And, and yeah, yeah, so it's it's probably only a shorter one. So I'm a little bit in the red at the moment, uh, but because it's just the large move we saw last week. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Were you trading when we were talking before? Because I, I, I don't remember having discussions about actual trades you're putting on. I don't think so. I think it's only just recently been getting back into it, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I don't know how <laughs> good of an idea that was, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I've always had the challenge. Like, I feel like I, I pick these good trends uh, uh-huh. and then I hold on to them. And then, you know, some of them go, get into pretty good profits. So, for example, I uh, had a long and oil uh, start of the year where it went from sort of 75, uh, so let's say Brent. So, I had a long on Brent, which uh, Brent oil, which is sort of the world oil outside of the US. Yeah. Uh, went from 79 to sort of like 89. Did really well. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, there's a bit of a pullback. I'm going to hold on to it till it goes back higher didn't go back higher sort of gave away all my gains <laughs> you know oh close to a thousand points uh right which is which has always been my challenge it's like looking too far ahead and hoping for too much of a gain when sometimes it's like far out mate you've you know you've done pretty well you've got you've got a good profit yeah yeah that's uh that's one of the things that took us a long time to learn it took me a long time to learn is you got to pay yourself at some point yeah exactly and then I, I think as well the challenge was that i uh i was at the minimum amount that you could actually like the minimum position. So mm. then, are um, you trading futures or? Uh, no, it, it was just um, you can. Uh, they call it spread betting over here uh, in the UK, uh-huh. which is basically means that you, you don't actually own the asset; you're betting on the movement of the price. Okay. Uh, which is a tax. It, it's for tax purposes. So because it's betting, you don't actually pay any tax uh, on any gains. It's not capital gains. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, because you don't. Okay. <laughs> well, because you don't own the asset. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're only betting on the, the movement of the price. And in the in the UK, you don't pay anything on betting wins. Uh, so basically, rather than buying an option or anything, you just uh, say if you think it's going to go up or down, and then you'll get 
you know, it's, it's similar to what happens. So, you know, if you think uh, if you short a stock, uh, someone has to sell a stock somewhere and then you buy at a lower price and get the difference yeah. or if you long yeah, the stock, yeah. same thing, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I think it's a, and I don't know how long this will last. <laughs> Probably the <laughs> surprise has gone so far long already, but uh, you are limited on what you can do. So mainly, it's mainly indexes and uh, mm-hmm. sort of commodities and stuff. So you can't do this on, on all companies from what I've seen. But, uh, but yeah, it is an interesting way to uh get exposure been playing around with any stocks yeah or even just uh i'm not so nuanced on uh options either Mm -hmm. or futures or anything like that so i don't know i think that's what you guys focus on isn't it yeah i've been i've been spending it's been like uh uh, every day for the last oh god i don't know now two years now it seems like (laughs) uh getting there getting there though uh yeah, there's been a lot of people helping out uh, in the Discord, sharing a lot of great information. Purdue's been super helpful for my journey, but uh, I'm in the middle of trying to pass a prop account evaluation right now, I'd actually have one in the green at the moment. So uh, definitely uh, trending in the right direction for the first time in forever, it seems like. Yeah, nice. Awesome stuff. And are you sort of just, uh, from what I've seen, it's daily trading, very much, yeah, day trading. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm trading mostly on a five-minute chart pattern. Uh, I look for like flag pattern breakouts or... Um, Do you uh, like call that like the crack? The uh, crack. <laughs> what, I think what, the crack what? is like the scalping, like when you're looking for those little five-point moves on like your trades last for seconds. Like, oh, click here, out, 10 points. Nice. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> As someone who's more of a swing trader, I think I call it the crack time frames. <laughs> it's funny, like that. Uh, I think of the because I used to be on those crack time frames like that, and then when I, I started getting better success when I shifted to a longer time frame using the five minute chart <laughs> and by like, holding for what feels more like a swing for like on the day time frame, I'll hold trades for two to four hours sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm holding trades for weeks sometimes. Yes, longer. yes. <laughs> It's just what you used to, yeah. I still do some of those, though. I like to, you know, every now and then I'll sell some covered calls on some positions that I own or uh, take some lotto swings on, you know, a company that's got earnings coming up in a month that I think is going to do strong. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Interesting to see. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a grind, but uh, finally starting to see some of it pay off. Yeah, well, uh, I'm assuming that volatility probably helps uh, your strategy. I actually so don't like it as much. You don't like it? Uh, no, because then my stops start getting wider. And then I can have yeah, to. True. Would you reduce your position size then? My my size is based on the risk for the trade, so I allow myself one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars per position, and the stop size is what then determines how many contracts I can purchase. Yeah. Okay. So if I got a ten point stop, then obviously I can only have three three to four contracts. And what would your average stop be? Um, seems like it goes from. As high as twelve points to as low as three, really just depends on the the candle that initiates the trade. Yeah, yeah. And then your risk reward, like, what would you do your risk reward? Uh, two to one for the first two thirds, and then uh, runner goes to four four R. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, once I tried structuring, once I put the structure in place like that, it makes it a lot more automatic, and I don't have to think about it. Uh, it's something that I have to work on finishing this week is figuring out how to handle trades to get close to take profits, but not quite. Cause that's the, that's been my Achilles heel this week. Those ones that are like tickle your, your take profit, but then come back and reverse on you. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing worse than seeing, Oh fuck. I just had a, <laughs> it's better just removing your, uh, yourself from as much as possible <laughs> that is been the key yes i take as much of my decision making out of the process as possible <laughs> not 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 uh judging on your decision making but i just know for myself that I, yeah I'm, I'm not very good in those situations my just no no because it's it's so hard to separate yourself from those emotions the the greed yeah. and the fear they make you do irrational things and if you don't have a plan in place for how you're going to act when those you know scenarios start to play out then you're just going to either do something rash and stupid or you're going to be inactive and not take any action. And both of those situations can be just as painful financially. Yeah. And um, my def- definite go-to in, in life in general is doing something rash and stupid. So uh, it's always good to <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, yeah, ask anyone I know. <laughs> so, it's not good. As long as money is not involved, it's, uh, you can sometimes do that. 
<laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you about. If yeah. you were listening to Yellen's uh, comments about the signature bailout, that they not bailout, yeah. but the, basically the, not sorry, not signature, is SVB. It was the raising of the FDIC limits to make all the depositors whole. I feel like she is one of the worst public speakers I've ever watched. <laughs> how, how, how she was uh, sort of Fed chair. And I guess you could say maybe there weren't too many volatile events during her reign. Mm-hmm. But it's scary to think that she was Fed chair. And maybe, you know, things have changed. What is she, 70 or something? And, you know, she's still got her. She, maybe she just doesn't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, maybe she's like, oh, I'm sick of this shit. But, well, uh, <laughs> it was the, the comment that I saw that kind of shocked me a little bit was that uh, I think it was the senator from Oklahoma yeah. asking about what happens if a regional bank goes down. Are they going to get the same treatment that SVB did? Uh, the reply or the answer to that was no. Was like, oh, so wait, are you saying there's different rules for bigger banks? Because now you're starting to incentivize consumers to put their money into banks that are too big to fail. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that uh, if you look at SVB, like the CEO was actually, uh, he was lobbying that, mm-hmm. that that the bank didn't have to go, uh, didn't have to do uh, sort of stress tests because they weren't big enough and they weren't important enough. He, oh, he right. lobbied the Fed <laughs> and the Treasury to say that, and now you know they've Ooh. collapsed and the Fed Oops. have come in and they've basically uh, guaranteed all deposits. Which is, as he said, this would not happen in any other bank. It's it's just ridiculous how, and it's this classic like class divide you could say, and you know you can bring that into it, and I, and I think that is the case. Like you look at. Um, was it the governor of uh, California had like $6 million in there or in SVB or something like that. And he was one of the people who was lobbying oh, as really? well to make, yeah. So there's, and, and he, he was lobbying to uh, make sure that everything was uh, supported by the fed. Of course. And he was also, and, and he didn't actually uh, tell them that he had money in there. You know, there's just so many of these things. Like, I don't know how, pe- I don't know how these people get away with some of the stuff they do. It's just, well, the other thing that's a little strange too is all the Chinese uh, companies that are going to be getting made whole too, because there's a lot of uh, Communist Party backed <laughs> entities that yeah. had money in SVP that are going to get their deposits made whole. And she said that she's like, "Yeah, yeah. that's going to be the case." And it, yep. and it's it's just ridiculous. And like as well, you can have you can be in the same bank, but you can have different bank accounts, and each of those different bank accounts is covered separately. So you can yes. have so like it, it, like basically this whole system does not make any sense whatsoever. It does not. No, no. I've been trying to figure that out. Like, why is what is the difference between having multiple accounts below the threshold versus having it all in one? Yeah, and then if you look at the FDIC, and I, and I guess maybe what they're saying is, oh, they are. You know, they're they're a solvent. You could say they've still got enough. Mm-hmm. They would have enough money to pay out all the positives. It's just that they have a liquidity issue. You could maybe say that. But the challenge is the FDIC, from what I know, they only have like $200 billion uh, that they can actually help so use to support these banks. You think about mm-hmm. all the regional banks and every single bank in the US, it's tens of trillions <laughs> of, of deposits that they have. So this, what will yeah. $200 billion do to sort of solve all these, you know, to help all these banks if there were to be an overall massive bank crisis? It, it can't do anything. It's, it's not going to be enough, no. Literally, and it's just like... <laughs> Oh, it's a classic, like, yeah, some, some people get, get supported. Some people don't, as you said, like the, the guy from Oklahoma is basically saying, well, what you're doing, what you're saying is you're supporting a brand on every single regional bank in the U S yeah. you're saying, well, yeah. screw that. Why would I bank with a small bank who, if they go bankrupt, I'm going to take a haircut or I might lose everything. I should go to JP mm-hmm. Morgan, you know, to Morgan Stanley, to these bigger banks within the U S because I know that if they were to go under, I'm going to be covered completely. They're too big to fail. Literally, it's like, and I think it. I think she was. It was such a horrible way that she presented it. I know. I know. She was suggesting what he said that people should do yeah. run run on regional banks, which is yep. You should take all your money out of the regional banks and go to the big banks. Yeah. So I, I really think that uh, Jay Power has to come out and say something about that uh, in this FOMC meeting. Oh, that'll be really interesting to listen for. Yeah, he'll he'll have to because I reckon there'll be questions about that. Uh, yeah. Probably linking to Jen- Janet Janet Yellen's uh, comments because. <laughs> Do you think he's sitting at home cursing? You're like, why the fuck did you just say that? Literally, <laughs> he's just like, for fuck's sake! I talk for I do my speeches for hours and hours. I try and 
you know, make sure people think that everything's okay. And now you've just gone there and said, yep, take your money out of regional banks if you have more than 250K. <laughs> yeah. And also we're going to screw Americans. We're going to pay back the Chinese. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's it's not a good look. And I think no. it, it's scary to think what will happen. And, and the challenge as well is it's not just, you know, there's not just duration risks. There's other... As we mentioned, there's more more uh, MBS risk as well for some mm-hmm. banks. Some banks are very concentrated in what they actually, the assets they own. So there could be risks there that if they have to sell everything, that there won't be the liquidity pool to sort of help them out. So I, I think this could get worse in the short term. Mm-hmm. I, I would be careful about shorting uh, some banks though. I know, uh, you know, if you look at Silvergate or all those other banks, a lot of them have already come down, you know, Credit Suisse. A lot of them have already come down ninety to ninety-five percent. Right. <laughs> you know, do you really need any more? <laughs> do you really need any any more? Or do you really <laughs> think that, you know, they're going to come? They're going to come down further, maybe an extra little bit. But there's the risk that, especially if they're smaller in size, that meme stock, uh, you know, traders come in, they're going to absolutely push it up. They're going to cause you to have margin calls. I, well, I, also, I, yeah. Also, then you also have the the. Ex- thing that you're seeing with like bank of america and the inflows that these big banks are seeing because yeah. of the fear of the regional banks like some of the big banks are probably going to do pretty well during this whole thing yeah but then i think if you look at long term it's like linking back to what we said before will they yeah. just become utilities will they be allowed to do all the stuff they've done in the past that's made them lots of money or will they just be you know you could say as well they're gonna to have to pay probably higher uh but but maybe they don't have to actually i just can't see the banking industry not having enough power to fight that yeah but but then you know? Yeah, what I was saying then is maybe they'll have to pay higher um, sort of deposit rates to get people mm. in. But why right. would the big banks do that if they're apparently 100% assured by the government? They would. They have no incentive to pay anyone a, um, you know, higher deposit rates that, you know, uh, interest on their deposits. There used to be a time when you get like, you know, 5% on your money at a bank. Yeah, and, I, and I, I've seen some of it come back. So it's like some of the banks over here are like three. Three percent or so. Oh, really? Majority of ours are like point zero one percent. So it hasn't gone up at all. And not that I've noticed, but I haven't looked in a while. But then, yeah, and, and now it's like you could say that interest rates are up. Why? Why would banks have to offer any? Why would those big banks have to offer any increases? They won't right. because they 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 know that people are going to put their money in there. They're getting the money already. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're hundred percent insured. Whereas the smaller banks might have to do that. So yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think. Uh, and I was listening to is a Steve Baum from uh, the Big Short. Um, mm-hmm. He was talking and he was saying that um, that always looking to fight the last war, like with with everything they do. So like most of the tests, most of the uh, sort of stress tests and everything like that was looking at credit risk. Mm-hmm. But now we've seen that the issue was oh, uh, yeah. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. So even even if uh, SVB was uh, covered by these stress tests, or you know these other banks were covered by them, they might not even it might not even come up because right. they were, it was a di- different issue now. So Right, right. Yeah. Didn't I also see too that the CEO and uh, some other insiders were unloading their shares about two weeks or so before the collapse? <laughs> oh, there's so much shit. Like, it's like, how, there's so many conflicts of interest. How could you as a, like normal, as a sane person, and maybe that's the issue there, or like as, as a good person be like, well, my bank is fucked. <laughs> Everyone's leaving. <laughs> let me just sell my shares. You know, let me make sure that I'm, uh, Get, getting my money out just to, to right. make sure I, I'm whole. It's just, and and I, I that's that's the one thing I, I struggle with in terms of these bailouts is that, you know, I, I'm a pretty strong capitalist. I am, mm-hmm. um, I support you know this sort of I support sort of uh, free enterprise and whatnot. But if you screw up and if your screw up affects lots of people, you shouldn't be bailed out. No, yeah, you know, those people should be bailed out. You should get screwed, uh, which is not doesn't happen which is always an issue. No, no. The, yeah. The, I, the whole point of capitalism is that you succeed on the strengths of your own merits, not government backing. Yeah. And if the problem is that things are too big to fail, then maybe we should be looking at breaking these things up. But SEB wasn't too big to fail. That's the issue. I know. I know. It was only the 16th largest bank. Yeah. And you could say it's the largest that's ever, uh, or second largest. Ever second largest. Yeah. yeah. Washington Mutual was the largest. Oh yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's only going to affect a small portion. And, and even then you could say, okay, um, I guess you could say you have to protect the depositors. That makes sense. But then yeah. if you're doing it for them, you have to do it for everyone. But I guess that's where they brought this new facility around to hopefully prevent it from happening in the future. <laughs> 
well, it'll prevent the the exact circumstances that led to SVB. Yeah, but not the next circumstances that'll lead to the next collapse. From what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is it's just the issue of of banking, and that's why I said it's like yeah. they're, they're they're trying to always push as much margin as they can to you know get back to the glory days. I guess pre two thousand eight, where they were just raking it in. Their stock prices were so much higher. Yeah, back when due diligence was optional. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And this is, uh, yeah, not even talking about European banks. I think there's a few European banks as well, which uh, might, other than Credit Suisse, which uh, might be struggling. Credit Suisse or HSBC is the other one that I love to hate. <laughs> hey, I've got money there. Careful. Do you? Oh. <laughs> Why do you hate them? <laughs> oh, the, the money laundering from uh, trash yeah. bins uh, <laughs> being brought in. Yeah. In, uh, in Mexico, was it? <laughs> did you listen to, or did you, yeah, you talked to Ian Frazier, right? Yeah, yeah, I talked to him and I also did an interview with uh, someone else who actually uh, recorded it as well, Leonard Oh, there's somebody else we talked to about HSBC. Though. Yeah, <laughs> HSBC yeah. is like the, but that's what Credit Suisse hopes to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've made a few fuck ups recently. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, quite a few. Not as bad as the Royal Bank of Scotland or, you know, Iceland. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Credit Suisse could be uh, sort of, because if you think about it, if fifty billion dollars doesn't mean, and, and you still have to sell, that's pretty fucked up. It, and you you get, but you're also selling for a billion after you yeah. just got a fifty billion infusion. But it just shows you how much like they could be, and they have billion uh, trillions of dollars under management. I'm pretty sure. So it could be. Oh Jesus! Could it be worse than the whole of the Swiss GDP? Wow. But that, that was. Iceland was like that, wasn't it? Iceland was worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess we'd never, if it happened to Switzerland, we would have never seen anything on the scale of that type of country. Oh, man. This is, yeah. I'm just trying to think of what the ram, especially a country that's known for its, wait, you say Switzerland or Sweden? Yeah, Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah. The country that's known for banking and neutrality. Like if they fuck it up, like, oh, fuck, I'd be terrified. <laughs> Literally. And then it's like, well, and, and I think, if that were the case, we would see a massive run on almost all banks. Every bank. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all, all good. Uh, so, uh, yeah. what do we get along next week? Yeah, anything positive <laughs> end us with? <laughs> what you got coming up uh, in the future for What the Finance? Uh, got a few interesting interviews coming up. Some of them are negative. One of them, uh, Gregory Menorino, he talks about a lot about uh, issues with the current system what's happening i sort of, I, th- I feel like i have a bit of a mix of uh guests some of them are like everything's going to collapse everything's everyone's going to die <laughs> oh, i love that too that's what i love <laughs> it seems like more been on the collapse side of it lately yeah but <laughs> and you can say that's <laughs> maybe those are just the better headlines yeah, exactly it's always a challenge of uh headlines versus yeah. actual information so i have those ones and i guess i get more of the institutional uh investors who are providing a bit more nuanced thoughts on uh, maybe the short term what's happening there uh i've got a guy called robert bryce coming in who's a uh energy expert uh which would be interesting so because i've talked to quite a, quite a lot of people who are thinking you know europe's gonna collapse they're gonna run out of energy but it hasn't happened so it's like yeah no, bring in- no and actually it, it seems like the energy prices were coming down too yeah exactly and you could say maybe it was an overreaction beforehand because everyone thought that was going to happen mm-hmm. but yeah it sort of surprised me and, and i'm not saying i thought that maybe i agreed with them but i thought there'd probably be a bit more pain uh especially yeah. in you know you could say europe and, and uk but Thankfully, it hasn't happened for for my energy bill at least. And, uh, <laughs> Did you not see any huge uh, prices for natural gas this year? Yeah, it was, it was a big increase, but uh, I'm lucky I have a small apartment, so. Ah. <laughs> but it probably went up like three times at least, so it was still like a bit pretty big, and like this still sucked. Yeah, and that was even with a government, uh, right. You know, capping the price <laughs> if, you, if you can believe it. So uh, yeah, it was quite bad. And then I'm talking to someone uh, in a couple of weeks, Vincent Deloard, who's uh, talking about why he thinks inflation will be higher for longer, which I guess is what we've talked about. Yeah. But he's talking about all the macro uh, sort of risks that we're going to see in the future, deglobalization, uh, sort of green energy transition, mm-hmm. uh, demographic risks, all those factors that uh, for long term, it's sort of like a, a negative, uh, it's like an inverse of what we saw from 1980 to, to 2020. Like the inverse is going to happen. I got you. I got you. Yeah. How about yourself? What have you uh, 
got coming up? Well, um, shit, I have to look. Uh, I got Eduardo Ibanez, uh, expert trader and CEO of Life Life Rewards. Uh, Kevin Davey, who I mentioned earlier, um, I can't wait to talk to him about rocket science. <laughs> That'd be the first guest I've gotten to somehow work that into a trading podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't care because I want to, I love it. I want to hear more. <laughs> rocket guys, boom! <laughs> uh, the one, the guy is supposed to talk to this week, um, Drew Spavetna. His house actually burned down. We had to reschedule it. That's why I reached out to you with the short turnaround. Yeah, I heard that. I'm surprised he uh, even messaged you to reschedule. Yeah, <laughs> <You're> legendary bloke. <laughs> I know. Yeah, definitely getting him back on for that. Just for that. Yeah, literally. I, I just uh, I'm picturing him typing out the email, standing on like the burning ashes of <laughs> of his life, being like, oh, "Sorry, man, can't make the podcast. I got to rebuild this." <laughs> That's a horrible thought. <laughs> the fucking legend, dude. You're a legend. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't nothing phases Drew. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But yeah, uh, yeah. That got that. Got more mini series stuff that we're trying to work on. I got to do an options one here soon. Ah, so listen to that. Uh, yeah, as I said, I've got no insights and options. But I'm... if you if you figure out currency trading, you have to help me put together one for that too. Maybe that'll be our next one after options. Yeah, sounds good. I guess it depends on longer term time because it gives you. Sorry. Give you a year to figure it out. Right? Should be able to have it done by then, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just uh, free labor. Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was interesting? You said. Uh, well, if you look at like what normally moves currencies, you know, interest rates, uh, inflation, uh, sort of capital flows, balance of payments, balance of trade, etc. In the in the past ten years, it hasn't really been that different. Like, there's been certain factors that have impacted it, but there hasn't been that much volatility. But you know, last two, three years, there's always been lots of divergence between different countries. Like in the past, right. like almost every country was like that either increase or decrease at a similar time to, to everyone else, you know, except for Europe. Europe didn't change for 10 years. <laughs> Even mm. uh, Sweden, uh, Switzerland, they didn't change for 10 years. So it was quite easy to, well, not easy, but there's less volatility. There's less movement. Right. In the past three years, we've just seen ridiculous volatility, which is good for trading as long as you're on the right side of it. So, you know, more potential money to be made. Yeah. Yeah, that's when your edges should get exacerbated. If you've got, if you're looking for divergences and those types of things, those things become a lot more clear, right? Yeah, exactly. That's sort of like what I was mentioning with the US dollar and why I think it would be mm-hmm. go stronger in the short term, at least. So yeah, so that's it, it's pretty interesting, and I think it's almost the it's the best way sometimes to get macro exposure. And you could say there's lots of other intricacies involved in it, but sometimes you know it's, it's, it's a lot of times it's finding and this might not be as relevant for you know day trading but in swing trading is finding what influences a certain asset uh and it's actually understanding that so mm-hmm. i think currency sometimes is the best way to understand you know it best way to hedge uh not hedge is to, to play sort of sometimes the uh, economic and macro that's super interesting. Actually, we I've got a roundtable recording coming up. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually bring that up with him. Yeah, do it. Yeah, uh, and he they might say that I'm completely wrong. <laughs> no, maybe. Um, the, the whole the premise behind it is like, why don't economists trade? So if this is a way that it actually sounds like it would make sense for an economist to try to take advantage of their knowledge, like why aren't you even at least trying that? Yeah, uh, maybe they have and they just lost lots of money. <laughs> maybe we'll see. <laughs> Oh, is that with uh, Eric Mason? That one? Yeah, Eric Mason and uh, Eric Smolinski is coming back for that one. Oh, nice. He's the one who uh, had the idea. Yeah, that'd be really good. I think it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, just having uh, what skin in the game. It's a lot harder to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that. That also may be why they don't too, or partly why, because then you start uh, introducing biases into yourself. Yeah, exactly. That was... I think that was Andy Kramer I talked to about crypto and why she doesn't invest in crypto because she wants to maintain her neutrality to it. Yeah, that's I think that's bullshit. Sorry, I just think they are. No, maybe maybe they're trying to make money off uh, <laughs> of of other avenues and they can't make it through investing. Right, right. Because you think if you think about it, the best way to do it should be through if you have these views of investing, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I don't know. I won't say anything bad about economists. I think they do provide. <laughs> good insights but they've been wrong a lot as well in the past and they're very you know it's easy for them just to flip-flop or just to uh go on the same route without uh you know 
with, with no consequences basically there's, there's no there's no consequences for them to be wrong <laughs> i think part of the the thing is that the field is just such a, a mess of probabilities that they can tell you what outcomes are more likely to happen but it's just like weathermen trying to predict the weather anytime you're wrong you're gonna get shit on for it yeah true but nobody expects you to be right all the time anyway <laughs> and, and, yeah i think there's an eco chamber as well like of uh yeah if you're everyone agrees on the same things like mm like modern monetary theory or all these other factors everyone's has to agree on the same thing and if you don't you're sort of like a bit of pariah and an outcast and or you're like michael burry and just screaming yeah, that exactly. the sky has fallen for 10 years <laughs> <laughs> eventually you'll be right though oh yeah clock what is it a broken clock is uh, right twice a day yep even a blind squirrel finds a nut <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we should wrap this up. Let you get back to your Sunday. Thank you, sir. It's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. I'd like to say thank you to everyone for sticking around to the end and Anthony for coming back. No one stuck around to the end, did they? <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm sure somebody did. Is there anyone that's still listening? <laughs> we had to. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to hear more from Anthony, you can check out What the Finance on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. You can check us out at twobullsandachinashop.com. We'll be back in your ears soon with another exciting episode. But until then, swat that five-star rating like an ankle biter chucking a wobbly and take care. <laughs> did I get that right? Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> an ankle biter, did you say? An ankle biter chucking a wobbly. Wobbly, yeah. Wobbly is a good one. Uh, okay. I don't know what an ankle biter is, though. That's a toddler, a child. Ah, yeah. A kid throwing a tantrum. Yeah, a wobbly. That's what the internet says. Wobbly tantrum. Yeah, I mustn't be. uh, I mustn't be Australian. Okay, so I got something. (laughs) (laughs) You've been gone for too long. (laughs) Damn it! I put a lot of work into that. I'm sorry. It was great. No, rather than research topics. I'll have to research next time, fuck, you know, <laughs> just, right. just to get these uh, analogies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.